Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. The theme for Season 3 is better. Better everything, from AI to being fairer, big ideas to body language, if it's important to being a fairer person, business or planet, an expert and I talked about it. What follows is an edited recording, as Mouthwash is a live show created just for Twitter spaces, so the quality is more conference call than podcast sound booth. Sponsors are really important to me, so please take a moment to visit Ecology. They planted a tree in the TBD forest for every live listener we had. And if you want to offset your carbon footprint, you can do that easily. Just nip to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference and sign up. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com forward slash TBD conference. Also, I was honoured to partner with and test out Spaces Dashboard, the helpful tool that's making it super easy to find great audio on Twitter. Check them out on Twitter at Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and mount from Mouthwash for a surprise. Mouthwash is the audio show of TBD, the conference that people call TED without the bullshit. It's going hybrid March 31st, 2022. So get your tickets for the in-person event or the global live stream at universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Use the code Mouthwash. You'll even get 25% off every ticket you buy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Sign up to the newsletter on my Twitter profile. That's Paul underscore underscore Armstrong. And you'll get informed about all future seasons of Mouthwash. Trust me, you'll want to hear what we have coming up. Finally, as with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to season three of Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. The conference attendees say is like Ted without the BS. It is a strange time around the world. Zoom fatigue, climate change, the great resignation, the metaverse. A lot seems scary, unfamiliar, and people are rethinking things um, from core beliefs to the way they work. Uh, Something that seems to be emerging is a desire to improve and make things, including themselves, better. So that's the theme for season three, better. Better everything. From AI to PR, body language to open innovation, I've been speaking and continue to speak to massive brains and execs from the likes of Twitter to Babylon uh, about making you and the world we live in a better place. Season three includes best-selling authors, security experts, speech coaches, Silicon Valley startups, uh, and people who want to revise your aging process. It's a great season. Make sure you get all the SMS reminders so you don't miss a minute of it. Okay, let's get on with the show. Today's Spark Cookie is none other than Walmart's senior brand strategist, Anna Sheckman. Anna, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, Paul. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Excellent, excellent. Before you and I chat more, let's talk about where we are and how you can get involved. Um, Twitter Spaces is still new and a lot of people uh, don't really know a lot about it, so let's explore it a bit. On the mobile app, the top bit is called The Nest. That's where I or any speaker can post tweets like the one you see up there at the moment. Mouthwash uses this in a very cool little segment we call Desert Island Tweets, uh, which you'll be a part of later. But uh, if anybody uh, wants to ever put anything up, you have to be a speaker and that sort of thing. So just keep that in mind, as they say. Um, The one thing to uh, remember is that it's a pretty unique feature to uh, Twitter Spaces, although lots of people are desperately trying to um, copy it. Um, You can have up to 12 speakers in a space, um, and you can get involved anytime. Just hit the record button down the bottom little mic on the bottom left-hand side, um, and then you get brought up as a speaker, and you can go on mute and that sort of thing. So you can have a good chat with 12 people, um, but you can have two co-hosts as well, so it's pretty good, and you can hand the mic around and have a good old chat. Um, Weaving 
your questions in for mouthwash is no mean feat. I do it via DM and hash, uh, hashtag if you do want to use it. Just do mouthwash show all one word. Um, you can also click the uh, tweet up the top, um, which I'm going to put up in the nest as well. Um, and that just tells everybody that we're live and, um, yeah, basically that they can join in. And that's a good thing not only for mine and Anna's ego, but also um, because it gets a tree planted. For everyone that we pull into the space, uh, Ecology are going to plant a tree. And um, we have over 10,000 trees so far in the TBD forest. We're doing pretty well. Um, it's really like a subscription for the planet Ecology, um, but you should check them out. It's ecologi.com. And um, when you sign up, you get your own forest. You can reduce your own carbon footprint. It's very, very cool. They're working towards gold standard climate solutions um, and obviously halving the results uh, emissions by 2040 through collective action. So we can be, all be a part of it. If you want to find out more, like I said, ecology.com. If you want to see our forest, you can go to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference. Um, so, yeah, very, very cool. We're also very lucky to be sponsored by Spaces Dashboard. They're the company that's helping good audio be found all across Twitter. They provide new, fast, easy ways to find all the latest and upcoming, but also ones that happened in the past, um, Twitter Spaces. So very, very handy. And if you want to find any good audio any time of day, they're the way you go. And if you want to get a quick look into them, they're still beta, um, go to Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and you'll get yourself an invite if you mention mouthwash. So, yeah. Okay, that's enough plugs. On with the show. Time for time to shower Anna in uh, a stunning amount of emojis. Okay, so if you want to find the emoji button, it is down the bottom and it's the heart with a plus by it. So I will give you uh, an example at the moment of the crying with laughter and the two fingers up. There you go. You see those? Um, pick whichever ones you want. You can have multiples of them, but don't stop until I've finished the, uh, the introduction, if that's all right. All right. So if you're ready, pick your first emoji and start pounding furiously. Okay. Um, Anna started her career at ad agencies, Havas and BBDO, before joining Future Brand. Uh, she's worked for some of the largest brands in the world, including IBM, Under Armour, Chewy, Bank of America, the MTA, to name a few, uh, and in multiple industries uh, from aerospace to footwear. Now, Anna leads the brand strategy team at Walmart, the mammoth brand that is deep and uh, ingrained into America's psyche, a company who is no stranger to changing their brand and faces challenges from companies most couldn't dream of. Uh, Anna oversees brand strategy, brand marketing, reputation marketing, conversations across the enterprise, including DE&I, sustainability, US manufacture, and local giving. Very, very busy bunny. Her success, I think, <laughs> is due to her ability to get things done fast by navigating different verticals, really, into partners. She's had a lot of um, experience in, in lots of different um parts of business uh, and she's also had non-marketing roles which I always think helps a marketeer and that sort of stuff. I'm extremely proud to have the award-winning Harlem Living Shoe Loving Anna on Mouthwash. Anna what did I miss out? What should people know about you? Oh my goodness well uh, thank you for that. Not, not so much. I'm really fortunate um, when somebody hears you know somebody talks about my career to just have a wide variety of roles and, and um, have having worked with, you know, lots of different brands that have made an impact in the world. So I'm really, really grateful uh, for the, for the accolades or the, the intros so far. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. All right, let's roll. What was the first thing yeah. you thought of when you woke up this morning? Uh, coffee. Coffee, absolutely coffee. Um, that is my number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, my husband wakes up and he's always trying to get me to eat a full breakfast as you should. And I'm always, my always response is, can I just have coffee, coffee first, and then I'll have a little bit of breakfast. <laughs> okay. Well, the science supports that. It's very much for speeding you up and making it uh, more digestible. So there you go. So yeah. Exactly. Um, talk to me about the last 24 months. How have they been for you? Wow. 
uh, <laughs> a whirlwind, actually. Um, so two years ago, I was, uh, you know, it was in the middle of the pandemic and I was actually still consulting. Um, I had taken a little bit of a pause in 2019, um, stepping out of consulting work and really taking a break from kind of the, the day-to-day sort of grind of, you know, conversations. And, and I was just dipping into, you know, coming back into consulting and then the pandemic happened, obviously, and there was shutdowns across, uh, all of the uh, uh, the world and all of the conversations um, kind of stopped, including some of the client work that I was doing. Um, and I was doing that. I was doing a little bit of a side hustle um, in real estate with my husband. And um, right in the middle of it, um, you know, somebody called me up from Walmart and said, hey, there's this interesting role that we think you'd be a great fit for. And I was like, hmm, really? Okay, well, didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> talked to a few people. They had, you know, a really great sense of what I believe brand is and kind of like the way to think about brands that have impact and scale. Um, they can really change conversation and the way that they wanted to go to market in that sort of purpose-driven way. And mm. as I learned more, I was really interested and kind of jumped on board. It's actually been a year now. Um, feels like a few a few more years um, in in sort of the last few months that I've been in this role, um, but really having a tremendous amount of impact around some of the conversations that are really important to us and important to communities where we live and work. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned some of them: DNI, sustainability, U.S. manufacturing, um, uh, employee welfare, are just some of the the conversations that we try to have meaningfully around the United States. Yeah. I want to talk more about Walmart in the second part of the show, and certainly a lot more about their responses and how they're changing organization. But before we go on, it's about branding and marketing. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about that for a sec. Um, how do you think the pandemic has or will affect branding in general? I think there's, um, I, I, there's a couple of things that's been happening, right? In the United States specifically, there was such a huge shift in consumer behavior where we thought adoption of online delivery or online shopping um, would be sort of a slow uptick as, you know, as younger generations who are digitally native are, um, are, are, are growing into, you know, becoming sort of adults. But over the past few uh, years or uh, past few months, we actually saw a huge uptick in general, a sharp incline of the entire country really shifting their behavior. And one of the things that's happening in terms of like how that is changing the brand and experience is because we all have, you know, this experience around Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, that natural sort of proclivity in terms of user experiences are really also translating itself into how you should be experiencing your retail brand online. And I think that's been some of the really interesting conversations when it comes to brand. Experience and brand are two sides of the same coin, how you show up in a really meaningful way, especially as rapid uh, consumer behavior is changing is some of the ways that we've been thinking about, you know, this kind of conversation. And mm-hmm. that's been something that we we're seeing It's something that we think is, is going to stick around for a little while. And we're going to continue to think about that in, in this sort of brand and consumer centric way. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the most common branding problems that you see today? Oh gosh. Um, branding or brand problems. Cause those are two different things to me. Whatever one you prefer. (laughs) Um, Do you know, I think it is 
genuinely around authenticity and like really understanding where your brand can and cannot play in. So let me give an example, right? After the multiple pandemics of 2020, inclusive of not just health, but racial and um, environmental um, pandemics, a lot of brands wanted to jump into those spaces, but they hadn't been in those spaces before. Now, was mm -hmm. it coming from a great place? A hundred percent. It was absolutely coming from a place where they had a, a really deep desire in truly creating advocacy and creating lasting change for communities and for the planet as a whole. But it was really hard for a lot of brands to jump into it um, without just going into, you know, a, a philanthropic commitment, for example. And so really having a solid view of yourself, not just having a solid view of yourself from internally, but having a solid view of your brand and really making sure you understand it from an external standpoint is something that I think we're all still continuing to kind of grapple with. And it's something that we work hard at every day to make sure that we're really uh, on the same page about who we are and how we're going to migrate towards like the authenticity that we want to achieve in, in the world. Mm. Um, you can answer this in multiple ways, um, like as if you're Walmart or if you're just a general brand. Okay. But how do you know if you've got a branding problem? Hmm. Well, some of the conversations we've been having, and in general, we have been having, we've had myself previously with other clients, is does your vision match your external perception of you? Number one. And if it doesn't, what are the levers that you can pull to make those the two things closer together? And I think one of the things that, you know, a lot of brands and businesses first look at is not just who you are and what your business is today. It's what your business is going to look like in 10 to 15 years as your consumers shift. So really having a deep understanding of that is something that we I, I've seen um, really a lot of, you know, brands and companies really try to think about. And then branding comes into play or brand comes into play when there is a communications lever that really needs to happen as an outcome of the shift in your vision. And you, you know when there's a branding problem when that, those two things are too far apart from each other. Um, and so that's that's really, you know, what we're trying to achieve. My sort of philosophy around brand and brand strategy is that it is a it's a complementary idea to your business strategy. It's not just down funnel inside marketing. It is an idea that really lives alongside your business strategy and everyone fulfills in that meaningful way. And so that's where some of the branding challenges ought to um, start um, and not necessarily, oh gosh, we need a new logo because it's old. Oh gosh, we need a new piece of advertising because ugh, it's kind of getting boring. And it, that those kinds of very tactical reasons aren't necessarily the way um, to think about a really big investment such as brand and branding. That's a good point, and I like that. Um, Let's talk about multicultural marketing for a bit. Um, mm -hmm. why, why is it so hard for brands to get right? Oh, man. Again, the authenticity. Um, it's really, I think, one of the things that has happened 
even just within the past 18 months is on the one hand, brands have always had multicultural strategies in order to sell X products. I believe there's an opportunity in the Hispanic market in the United States. I'm going to go after them through X, Y, and Z deals through X, Y, and Z messages. Mm. And what's happened in the past 18 months, again, around the racial equity conversations is that because consumers and especially young ones have leaned into their culture, they want to have a higher level, almost non-product conversation about what brands really stand for. And if you haven't had those conversations, if you haven't been in that space, it's really difficult. Um, Because I think the other thing that customers are looking for is not just like, hey, do you show up? It's also, do you have receipts for my community in a way that is meaningful to me? Show me the receipts is something that we say often inside the organization, because we have to have really strong reasons to believe in order to show up in that deeply authentic way. Mm. Does that start at the boardroom for things like Walmart? Because obviously you haven't had the same board makeup for a long time and that sort of stuff. And you are changing as an organization needs to, you're constantly evolving and that sort of stuff. How how easy is it for people? Because that's not the same for every um, marketing department sure. out there and branding, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, some of the most meaningful actions come from the business. Absolutely. Um, Does it necessarily have to start from the boardroom? Um, No, but some of the bold actions do because it Mm -hmm. takes the entire organization to bring them to life. Um, And some of them are really just making sure that we are showing up in a different way um, through perhaps our products, perhaps our stores, perhaps the ways our employees interact with um, our customers. Those are the other ways that you can feel that you are for the community or for a community. And it doesn't just have to be a corporate commitment or a philanthropic corporate commitment. Mm. Um, What's your best advice for executives who might not be familiar or not yet using multicultural marketing? Um, Say if they've been asked to go after a new segment they're unfamiliar with. (laughs) Um, genuinely start with getting to know the, the community that you're trying to go after. Um, and when I say that, I actually mean, don't just read the data. The Mm. data doesn't tell you the motivation. The data doesn't tell you why people get up every day and why they make the choices they do really understand and listen to your customer, talk to them. Um, qualitative, if you, if you want, if you, you want to do a bit of formal research. Um, but I think that that is, you know, something that you, where you have to start and then start slow. You know, you can't boil the ocean in the single uh, frame. Brand building is a marathon, not a sprint. And especially within communities of color, it's such a very specific area of conversation because I think, especially in the United States, um, a lot of our communities are aware that a lot of brands are trying to go after the same conversation with them. And if you're not careful, it's going to be seen as pandering. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that a little bit further on. But let, let, let's shift it up. Let's um, talk about the paycheck, Walmart. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your role there. I'm sure there's no average day, but take us through what you do there. Oh, man. Um, well, 
Um, it's really fun and exciting, um, but also a lot of stakeholders and bringing everyone along on a journey. So over the past few actually weeks, we are starting to set the strategy for what we're going to deliver on it um, over the next year. And really making sure that we have a vision, not just as a whole in terms of how we are going to market in terms of our save money, live better promise, but really how we're pulling down the strategies into conversations like sustainability, U.S. manufacturing, um, DEI, etc. So uh, um, like my day yesterday, for example, consisted of really creating a few additional slides, working together with my team on some of our cultural engagement strategies, talking about it, thinking about it, changing slides and lots of those things. And then, you know, in the morning or in the afternoon, maybe going into a completely different meeting with a few executives and a few stakeholders, taking them through some of our strategies, making sure they're aligned to it, making sure that they um, give input. Um, especially because it's their, you know, area of the business. And then having a really good conversation about what's next, like what are we doing and what are the things that are, you know, going on literally right now, not just into next year. So I could have 16 different meetings in an eight hour time frame, and it could be all completely different and about completely different topics. And it could range anywhere from reviewing, you know, a piece of creative that's about to go out all the way to having very, very senior conversation, conversations about strategic intent of an area of the conversation um, with, with a very senior uh, stakeholder. So that's really exciting. Um, I love that. Um, I think it mixes it up. It gets a little busy, of course, but um, it's really, uh, there's never a dull day, which, is, which I love. Mm. Um, so Walmart, founded in 1962, um, they're yes. known as an ultra-conservative company, uh, middle America, simple pricing, easy to understand, you get in, you get out, but they are changing. They are currently 75% white, I think that was, I read that on CNBC, um, but on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the strictest conservative company there could ever be, how conservative a company are they? You know, I think... Let me just answer this in a different way. If you have a definition of conservative as a little bit of a pejorative, I would say they're less conservative than you think. Because I think one of the things that I really enjoy about working at Walmart is they really genuinely try to reflect the communities where they live and work. So they're not just in conservative America. They are in... Uh, you know, all the different cities and all the different, you know, um, communities, um, including, of course, communities of color and urban areas. If you have a version of conservative that is just about kind of the humility of the brand, that is the thing that I think we are all trying to change within the brand team. So, it, the, we, you know, one of the reasons why perhaps Walmart has a little bit of the reputation they have now is because they've grown up in a little bit of a humble place where, you know, they genuinely, tr you know, have tried not to sort of engage in the conversation. And in doing so, especially in this day and age, they got a little bit of a, a real reputation and, you know, totally understand and totally hear, you know, some of the criticism. Um, and so we're, you know, definitely not trying to defend them in that way. But I think the, the shape of the conversation um, is about like are like are we having the right conversations and are we like 
are you trying to not just be on the defensive, not just say, well, you're wrong, but really trying to shape a really, um, a really interesting kind of narrative around the communities where we live and work. And so when I say, when I think about kind of this brand and kind of like the, the sort of traditional kind of idea that, you know, people have of it, um, it's evolving for sure. But I also think that it is um, trying to have um, a little bit of the courage to continue to speak up where it matters most. And so I think we're all on a journey. I think it's, uh, it's, it's still an evolution. We are still based in um, middle America and um, all of that you, you may think comes with it, but I think we are all continuously and genuinely trying to frame up like how we serve you know, 1.6 million employees who look different from each other and may have different beliefs and values and also the different customers we serve. Is that a, is that a, an okay answer or like? That's a, that's a very PC answer and I like it. That's like, <laughs> let's delve into what you're saying there. So, so essentially Walmart's got a big job on its hand to sort of balance the history, but also move to the future. Um, yeah. How do you make sure you don't lose the good while fixing the bad, but also seeking new territory then? That's exactly the day to day. Um, it's exactly trying to bring forth and deeply understanding the equities that we want to continue to have. Um, the save money aspect of it being a really important area of conversation. But the shifting aspect of it is truly live better. And how do you kind of figure, um, how do you think about live better as our consumer is changing? If you think about the history of Walmart, um, live this, this sort of idea of why it even started in the first place was that Sam Walton had an idea that five and dime stores were really only accessible in cities um, and that he wanted to bring that same kind of access to rural areas and especially around his hometown and his home state. And so what does access really look like in this day and age? How can we take that same equity around, you know, really getting you what you need and what you want for the price um, that that won't hurt your wallet. What does that look like in this day and age, in this, you know, sort of technology-driven world where you can have everything and things might actually be cheaper if you buy it online? And so that's, I think, us trying to retain a little bit of equity and, and you know, sort of deep understanding of kind of our legacy, but really framing that in a really interesting customer-centric way because the customer um, uh, set has evolved. That's an interesting, um, an interesting way of putting it, I think, as well. Um, most people don't realise, certainly outside of the US, that Walmart um, actually makes more revenue than Amazon, um, but it has way less sellers. Amazon's got two million. Walmart chooses just a hundred thousand. Um, it's fair to say, though, you are in a fierce battle with Amazon. They're changing things. You're changing things. How much does Amazon's brand and positioning weigh on your branding decisions? Um, absolutely. They are one of our competitors. Um, we watch them very closely. We watch what they're doing in all the different spaces that they're in. Um, and we make sure that we, you know, are having, not I wouldn't say competitive conversations, but understanding the, the conversations that they know where to play in, but that we also know where to play in, in terms of how different we are. You know, the biggest thing that we always say is that you know tech companies are in, in especially in the United States they're going backwards they are starting online and then they're now building their brick and mortar well we 
started differently, right? Uh, we are in 4,300 communities around the United States. Yeah. And, you know, that is uh, an amazing thing. And so, you know, when we think about that sort of thematically from a messaging standpoint, being in communities where we live and work is like an amazing amount of impact, especially on the ground level. You can feel us because we live where you where you live and work. Um, and that's how we genuinely think about going to market and going to market competitively with, um, you know, somebody who takes up a lot of share of voice um, in, in a way that, you know, like we don't want to necessarily go to head to head from a, from a spend standpoint, but we can make sure that we're highlighting our differences where we can and amplifying those moments where we can truly differentiate as a brand. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I see the challenge you have at Walmart. It's turning physical customers into online and subscribing ones um, with Walmart Plus. Um, Absolutely. I think it's fair to say, or, or no, actually, is it fair to say that Walmart's going through a period of transition into a sort of 22nd century brand? How, how has that shift impacted your role at the company? Yeah, that's a great question. We always have to keep in mind, you know, where the company is and how it's going and how the brand continues to be a good companion and complementary area um, of conversation around it. Um, we are making sure that in the right moments, we're clued into any, not just big announcements, but of course, the vision for, you know, how we want to make sure that we are perceived, not just from our customers, but from investors as well, right? We are an omni-channel retailer. And for the most part, a lot of us, a lot of the investors and customers out in the world still perceive us as um, a store retailer that happens to have a digital arm. Um, but more and more, I think as, you know, a lot of the conversations or a lot of the experiences are starting to go out into the world and you're starting to really experience the seamlessness of, you know, picking up online, you're, you know, buying online, for example, and picking up very easily near, at your local Walmart. Um, that's where, you know, a lot of some of our conversations we really want to lean into and make sure that we're, um, we're clued in and that the customers clued into like how are they're really benefiting from this, um, from this really great experience. Mm. Um, the company is changing. There's lots of new things from delivery to content. And as a brand yes. strategist, how much runway do you get to see ahead or are decisions just made fast and furiously? <laughs> a little bit of both, a little bit of both. Um, we are, um, we are certainly trying to get long in sight into specific areas of the business where, where possible, but oftentimes, um, there is just a very close group that happens to create some of these areas of opportunity and we just have to move fast. And, um, and so we, we try as much as we can to coordinate, but I think one of the things that we also want to do is we want to make sure this gets out to the world in order for our customers to benefit it. Um, you know, Walmart Plus is a perfect example of something of, you know, our subscription space where um, we're continuing to, you know, shape new benefits to the conversation um, in order to continue to surprise and delight customers, but also be competitive with, you know, Amazon. And, you know, those are spaces where that core team who works on that business day to day have, you know, better line of sight into what might be happening into the next year so they can plan ahead. 
some of the announcements from the corporate and philanthropic standpoint, some of them are a little bit shorter time span just because of the nature of, you know, corporate announcements and how things get done um, on the, on some other parts of the business. A very honest answer. I like that. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, business Insider recently uh, said Walmart's average con- customer is 46 year old white women. Um, confirm or deny. <laughs> you know, Probably true. I can't. Uh, I can't imagine um, uh, a difference. But again, I think one of the things that we're genuinely and intentionally trying to do is serve all our customers, young yeah. and old. Perfect. Um, right. So that that leads me on to then saying people who might have Gen Z kids. Um, <laughs> that's really the next demographic you have to convince into becoming yes. Walmart consumers, right? Amazon's done a very good job of like everything now, everything there, but they're really eco-conscious and looking into sustainability and transparency and that sort of thing. How do you go about making Walmart attractive to Gen Z? Some could argue that's a really tough challenge, but how tough do you think it is? I, I think they are so digitally native and attuned to marketing, they can sniff out authenticity as, as we've mentioned in the past few, you know, conversations we've just had. Um, I personally love Gen Z. I think they're smart. They're deeply optimistic and you have to give them, you know, the right receipts in order for you to be believed. And fortunately for us, when it comes to areas around sustainability, we are actually, one of the leaders in the space. And so when it comes to having those engaging conversations with um, Gen Z, you know, we're, we're ready to have them. And I think one of the ways that we just, we want to try to make sure that we're engaging them is we meet them where they are. So for example, when you, when you think about like where the 46 year old woman is, um, she's probably watching, you know, regular broadcast TV. She maybe listens to radio um, on her, you know, when she's in the car, she's of course online, but she's probably on Facebook. But her daughter is probably on TikTok. Uh, probably gets most of her news from TikTok. Sometimes yep. on YouTube, maybe on Hulu, and um, and also kind of really like still the sort of physical digital experiences that she gets to go go to with her friends. So really thinking about the channel strategy alongside the messaging strategy is one of the things that we think about as we continue to um, frame our conversation for a younger audience. I think one of the things that they're most interested about is fairness and equality and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, Um, Absolutely. Doug McMillan, CEO of Walmart, for those who don't know, um, pledged to spend $100 over five years to build quote, a centre on racial equity. Um, how are you going to help uh, brand Walmart's racial past? You know, I think that's the continuous conversation we're having. Um, there is a deep intentionality about, like, the Centre for Racial Equity and all the things we're trying to achieve. Um, helping end systemic racism is language that we have used out in the world and Doug has used as well. And there is a group that is deeply devoted to genuinely making that come true. We're just getting started. Um, You know, would I say that it necessarily, quote, you know, erases the past? I think that we understand the challenges that people have when they interact with Walmart. 
And while this doesn't necessarily make up for it, I think moving forward, we want to absolutely be intentional about those experiences being not as they were and really genuinely changing and doing something that only a few companies can, which is really devoting effort and resources to changing the scale. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a tall task. I would say, um, I would say that's, that's really where we are and what we're focused on. We're focused on like, how do we make things right moving forward? Yeah, and I think that's a chunk of change. It didn't have to be a hundred million; could have been a lot less. You know, could have been a poster campaign. So I, I was, I'm interested in where that does go. Actually, um, Walmart's not perfect, right? Just like Amazon isn't, or any large company. When you grow to the size that they are, you make mistakes, uh, and small things can turn into big things fast. Uh, I think um, a case in point was selling goods around Black Lives Matter. You know, both you and Amazon decided to take shirts down and that sort of stuff. Um, a lot of the changes I'm seeing, uh, like. Um, Oh, um, multicultural hair and beauty products being in locked cases for decades are changing. You're taking them out. And that's exactly. Sort of so mm -hmm. you have to give yourselves props for that. I think Walmart's, um, their launch and push into transparency and sustainability, what do they call it? Built better for you, wasn't it? Uh, built for better, yes. Built for better, yeah. Um, can you talk to us about that and how, because you worked on that with a lot of people and that sort of thing, how you go about branding something as huge as that? Because that's a big change for them. Right. So um, that, that was a really great example of deep collaboration within the organization, as well as us coming together and genuinely listening to the customer. So you mentioned Gen Z a few, um, you know, a few minutes ago, and their really deep um, uh, passion for both sustainability as well as social impact issues. And when we looked around, you know, that area of conversation and how amazing it is that they're trying to align themselves to brands that have that are really amazing in the space and at the same time looking around our competitors and them trying to figure out how to use design cues or branding cues to really signify it turned into a lot of oh well there's just a lot of badges everywhere and it's really confusing and so we took a huge step back and said, like, where is the opportunity to really frame a singular conversation around what we would characterize as values-based shopping and, and really make sure that, like, at the product level, people understand that we are committed to it. So there's this uh, opportunity for us to really make sure that if you are 22 and you're really like into the planet and, you know, supporting diverse communities that when you walk inside Walmart, because, you know, you don't have a lot of discretionary income, you're able to find those things really easily so that you can feel like not only are you getting the best price, which is something we're committed to across the enterprise, but you're also, um, you know, spending that money in a really meaningful way to you. Um, and so that's really the premise of Built for Better. And we're just going to continue to kind of build upon that as we um, as we move into next year and really framing some of those conversations in a meaningful way. Mm. Um, purpose marketing, hot topic right now, um, from greenwashing to talking about racial inequality. How do you mm -hmm. make sure you don't put your foot in it before things go live? Is it just, high? <laughs> we're going to pay a load of people, give us the percentage of people that are annoyed and we go, yep, yeah, that's under our thing. Or, or is it more refined than that? No, it's definitely more refined than that. We all have a very, not just sensitive view of, uh, you know, really kind of thinking about, oh, are we just putting 
for example, you know, you know, rainbow flags on X, or are, is there really a meaningful conversation behind it? The, so it's, it comes from a couple of ways from our process and making sure that we have this amazing kind of um, review of stakeholders who are, you know, really keen into sort of the DNI and sustainability space um, and making sure that we're all sort of aligned on, you know, the way we want to go to market. And then secondly, I think we also think about like the, the process also being a part of the equitable and sustainable area of opportunity. So an example is, um, you know, we have, um, and this is not new news, but one of the things that we are doing um, that our CMO has made an announcement on is we are committing a certain percentage of our media budget to diverse owned media. And that is, you know, having the process meet the commitment. So it's not just the thing that we say, it's the thing we do. Um, and making sure that we are deeply intentional about bringing diverse um, uh, media founders and, and companies along in this journey to create shared equity um, across the conversation. And those are the things that we're really genuinely trying to do. So we don't only think about that in terms of media. We think about that in terms of creative partners. We think about that in terms of production partners um, and really framing all of that up in a really meaningful way. Also, in the storytelling we have, we have a, um, we do make sure that for ourselves, we're able to authentically play and have a conversation in this space, especially through our reasons to believe or the receipts or the commitments that we have. Um, if we are not authentically in this space, um, we will celebrate a cultural moment, but we won't necessarily have lots of investment around it until we continue to build you know, the right conversation and, and have those um, long-term investments internally. I think that's a really mature approach, one that I don't see a lot of companies um, mirroring, I think. I think a lot of people wade in before they need to, or they launch something without thinking, and that's why they see sort of backlash. Um, I know uh, It's hard. Well, it's really hard. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't, I'm sure it takes a lot of your hours <laughs> and that sort of stuff. Um, how do you make sure, though, um, you're not coming across as greenwashing or just throwing money to sort of not silence people, but, you know, to do it. How do you make sure that, like, your intent is matched with how it's sort of received? I think you never know until you're fully out in the world. But I think it does start with really looking at our, uh, lo looking closely with our business stakeholders and saying, let's just use sustainability, for example. Um, really saying, like, are we credibly in this space? Do we have our own really sharp leadership commitments and actions that we are taking? Are we going to go to market and use our influence in, uh, uh, across this area of opportunity in a meaningful way, not just for ourselves, but for our partners and for our communities? And then let's go out and be intentional about the way we do it. A perfect example is this. Um, right now we have a, uh, a really great program called Project Gigaton. And Project Gigaton has over 3,200, maybe more, um, supplier partners that we partner with to reduce emissions. And there is a goal around Project Gigaton, and we are deeply committed as an organization to that goal. And um, that is probably something that is deeply differentiating between us and other big partners. Um, 
Amazon being you know the one that comes to top of mind in terms of some of their uh, carbon emissions. And I think for us, we are really proud of that area of conversation, and we're able to really frame that up in the conversation to our customers around sustainability and say like we're really committed um, to you know the space. Mm. Okay, final question before your Desert Island tweet. What's the best tip or 30-second exercise you recommend people who might not be as big as Walmart uh, or if they're just starting out do when they're thinking about changing something to do with their brand or creating one? Uh, Wow, okay. (laughs) 30 seconds. Um, Do you really know your customer? Do you know your competitive space? What's the vision for your business? And how do you bring that customer and vision closer together? That customer need and that vision closer together. And that's what brand will help you bridge. Love that. So write those down and make sure you're clear on those. Brilliant. Okie doke. Um, so if you turn your attention to uh, the nest, it's time for Anna's Desert Island tweet, the part of mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or two that has changed their mind or way of thinking in some way. So if you look at the nest, there is a tweet from Amanda Gorman, who was at the inauguration. She did that amazing bit of poetry. Um, it's not a positive tweet. It's very sad, in fact, but I'll read it out. Um, a security guard tailed me on my walk home tonight. He demanded if I lived there because, quote, you look suspicious. I showed my keys and buzzed myself into the building. He left. No apology. This is the reality of black girls. One day you're called an icon, the next a threat. Why did you pick this one? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, after the inauguration earlier this past year, we all simultaneously fell in love with Amanda Gorman, right? And um, we just all, like, understood her passion, her authenticity for this space, her optimism, like I've said about Gen Zers around this this country and, and the kind of world we want to see. And then you see her really shaping her reality day to day. And you're like, oh, shoot. Wow. Like, that's a bummer for her. And like, and the reality, as she said, for many of our young, diverse uh, men and women in this country And so when I think about her and I think about the conversation we just had and the impact that Walmart could have in this space around racial equity, this is the kind of, this is why I joined Walmart because there are very few brands who, when they put their mind and intention behind an area can really truly impact it. And so we owe it to, young girls and women like Amanda who who feel this way about their day-to-day um, to really continue to shape the conversation around allyship, around racial equity in this community, in this country, um, in a way that serves our next generation meaningfully. So they, so she, or maybe her daughter, don't have to feel this way in 20 or 30 years. And again, like you think, you know, (laughs) you think about kind of like, do do brands really have a role in that space? And like the the fact of the matter is, is that actually some brands do. Um, Some brands um, have so much um, sort of scale and impact that they are able to really frame bold actions uh, in a way that change generations and can change hearts and minds as well if you make, you know, 
if you have conversations that are meaningful, impactful. So I think about when I try to think about this huge strategy around live better, I always try to boil it down to a human. And like, what is that person? Like, what are we trying to do for them? And so she and her tweet remind me of the task to be done day in, day out, when sometimes this is really big strategy. There's a lot of big things to do. You know, there's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of collaboration. We're trying to bring it back. I'm trying to bring it back to a human and their day-to-day experience and how we can meaningfully change or support, um, you know, the, the change that we want to see in the world. Yeah, I, I think that's an incredibly poignant and important point to sort of lead the conversation on, I think. Um, thank you for being part of Mouthwash, Anna. Any final thoughts or advice for listeners when it comes to better branding? Thank you for having me. Um, branding is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> um, it will change as customers change. And so always be up to speed with you know the latest and greatest and always be open to change because that's the only constant thing. Love it. That's great. Okay, look, I have an amazing cohort of people this season on Mouthwash from big tech to entrepreneurs, designers, speechwriters, best-selling authors, big tech, Silicon Valley startups to healthcare specialists. If it's important to being a better person, business or planet, we're going to be talking about it. Up next is Michael Baskar, and we are talking about big ideas. He's author of multiple best-selling books. His latest is called Human Frontiers, The Future of Big Ideas in an Age of Small Thinking. He's a feisty interview, so make sure you tune in. Uh, head over to mouthwash.norby.live to get SMS alerts whenever we go live, so you don't have to miss a moment or think about it. It's very easy. Just do that. Uh, once again, my thanks to the superb Anna Sheckman. Um, follow her on Twitter, Anna Sheckman, and her website is annagannadsheckman.com. I'll spell that out. A N A G A N N O D S C H E C H T M A N dot com. Uh, and that's Anna Gannis Shakman. Um, please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emoji for her as the music uh, plays us out. Thank you for joining. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every one of you who joined. And thanks to Spaces Dashboard for helping good audio be found. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash Fresh Chat that leaves you confident only on Twitter Spaces. <laughs>